When I Open podcast may feature language, mature themes, and violence. This is your trigger warning. Hello, you are listening to When I Open, a true crime podcast where I talk about crimes ranging from urban legends to serial killers and how they are portrayed in the media. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Tate's Guide to the Perfect Crime. Hey, my name is Tate, and I'm your host. A couple of general things about me. I'm a minor, I use they, them pronouns, and I do not have any legal education on law. This podcast idea came to me during the COVID-19 pandemic and after I listened to other podcasts, such as Crime Junkies, Hellbound, and Wine and Crime. I'm super excited to start this show and to maybe have some collaborations later on. Now on to the topic. Today I will be talking about the urban legend of Slenderman. The Slenderman lore was created on June 10, 2009. It was made on a website called Creepypasta. Creepypasta is the center of horror stories that will tend to chill down your spine. The story of Slenderman was created by Eric Hudson under the alias of Victor Surge. Their first story is about a girl who is unable to sleep, so she goes downstairs for a cup of coffee. While there, she sees a tall, lanky figure wearing a suit and having a completely white face. The story ends with the girl's sister being admitted to the hospital because she stabbed herself in the eyes with pencils as a form of self-defense. After the girl leaves the hospital room, she sees the Slenderman's shadow on the wall. The Slenderman is described to be a tall, lanky figure wearing a suit. He has no face and is sometimes described to have a top hat. He also has a necktie that is either red or gray. In my opinion, he just sounds like if Jack Skellington stuck with the whole Halloween plot. The creator has come out to say that the Slenderman does indeed not have a face nor hair. He also refers to him as Slendy, which is probably something only his creator would call him. Slenderman is seen in the photographs of groups of children in the background. There is one instance, one famous one, where he is in the background of kids playing on a playground. He also has a couple accomplices, Hoodie, Masky, The Rake, and possibly The Observer, but I can't find much information on them. Versions of the Slenderman have been noted in other time periods, such as Brazilian cave paintings, Egyptian hieroglyphics, German woodcuts, and Romanian mythology, where they called him Tall Man. Later on, I will be discussing a case where they do call him Tall Man but that will be mentioned later. He is also seen in English mythology. This meme was first initially made for satire purposes only, but took a dark turn in 2014. On May 31st, 2014, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, three 12-year-old girls, Peyton Lutner, Anissa Ware, and Jordan Geyser, were at a sleepover. The night seemed to be going normally until they discovered the Lord Slenderman off the internet. The three believed they could prove their loyalty to him, become his proxies, live in his mansion, prove his existence, and prevent him from harming their families. But Anissa and Morgan had darker plans. They first planned to stab Peyton in the Chegamelan Nicolette National Forest. Morgan said in a police interview that she had been having visions of Slenderman's mansion being located in the National Forest. Alas, the girls were too tired and too groggy that night to stab their friend in the neck. 
I'm assuming this is because they were only 12 years old. The girls decided to stab Peyton in the morning and use the park bathroom to drain her blood. On the day of the attack, the three went down to David's Park, a park that was closer to them, and proceeded to play a not-so-friendly game of hide-and-seek. During the game, Peyton was pinned down and stabbed 19 times. Yes, 19 times. Morgan and Anissa left Peyton in the woods to die. Miraculously, Peyton dragged herself up to a trail where a biker saw her and called 911. After being taken to the hospital, it was revealed she was stabbed with a 5-inch kitchen knife on her arms, legs, and torso. Two wounds were close to major organs, one missed a major artery of her heart by less than a millimeter, and another went through her diaphragm, cutting into her liver and stomach. By some sort of miracle, Peyton survived the attack. Now, I'd just like to say something. To any medical professional out there, how the heck did a 12-year-old girl survive getting stabbed 19 times? I just don't understand how that's medically possible. Peyton actually spent about six to seven days in the hospital and returned to school in September 2014. I can't imagine going back to school after being stabbed that many times. Morgan and Anissa, the stabbers, is that a word? Probably not. Were found close to Interstate 94 near a furniture store. They still had the weapon on them. When they were apprehended, Morgan showed no signs of empathy towards what she had done, and Anissa said she felt guilty, but she had also felt that that was what she had to do to please Slenderman. This next part is slightly controversial and discusses the insanity defense. I will be talking about what happened during the court negotiations and the appeal, then I'm going to voice my personal opinion. In 2017, Anissa pled guilty to being a party to attempted second-degree homicide. For those unfamiliar, second-degree homicide is when you didn't necessarily plan it, but you definitely meant to kill the person, like an armed robbery, a drive-by shooting, or stabbing your best friend 19 times to please a fictional character. Okay, that last example isn't exactly common. Anyway, back to the case. The jury found Anissa not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. At first, I can only find an article that said that Anissa's teachers saw her developing symptoms of depression due to her parents' divorce. In a later report, Anissa was said to be diagnosed with a delusional disorder. This disorder was most likely the cause of Anissa being okay with committing the crime with Morgan. Morgan had early onset schizophrenia that was not diagnosed till after the crime was committed. At the end of the trial, the judge ordered Anissa 25 years to life, an indeterminate sentence involving at least three years locked confinement and involuntary treatment at a state psychiatric institute, followed by a communal supervision until age 37. Morgan was sentenced to the maximum, 40 years to life, an indeterminate sentencing involving at least three years locked confinement in addition to involuntary treatment in a state psychiatric institute until complete <sighs> resolution of symptoms or until the age of 53, whichever happens first, followed by continued communal supervision, periodic reevaluations, and or reinstallation and further treatment as needed, as required by the sentence opposed. I know that that sounds like a lot of things, and even when researching that, it took me a while to realize what that actually meant. 
During Morgan's trial, she had been committed to the Wangbo Mental Health Institute and was the youngest patient there. During an appeal in 2020, the court rejected Geyser's petition to be retried as a juvenile. Her attorney, Mr. Pinks, argued that she should be charged with attempted second-degree intentional homicide rather than first-degree and argued that Morgan gave statements to investigators before being read her Miranda rights. He petitioned the state Supreme Court to review the ruling. My personal opinion on this sentencing is that it does make sense. Although the fact that Morgan wasn't already diagnosed with schizophrenia before this incident occurred is a little strange to me. But she was only 12 and probably didn't know what to do. Schizophrenia in 12-year-olds is very uncommon, but it's not impossible. The aftermath of this case resulted in the creator of Slenderman to give a statement to the public about the stabbing. He said, quote, I am deeply saddened by the tragedy in Wisconsin, and my heart goes out to the families of those affected by this terrible act. The Wisconsin governor devoted Wednesday, August 13, 2014, Purple Hearts for the Healing Day, and encouraged the people of Wisconsin to wear purpled on the day to honor the victim of the stabbing. He has also praised the strength and determination exhibited by the victim during her recovery. The aftermath of this drove the FBI to make a statement about the effect of internet lore on the internet. The statement says that parents should monitor their children's time and energy on the internet because sometimes kids are really gullible. The gullibility of children can even occur in some adults or some young adults. It honestly doesn't matter what age you are, but remember that you shouldn't trust everything that you see on the internet. And if you are exhibiting some interesting thoughts by reading on something on the internet, maybe you should stop reading it. The next part of my podcast is going to be, I'm going to issue a spoiler warning for an episode of Law and Order SVU and an episode of Criminal Minds. This is your official spoiler warning, so then, or spoiler alert, so then people don't get mad at me as I deeply analyze these two episodes of television. Thank you. Alright, so we are now getting to the part of the episode that I've been waiting to talk about. So, as I've mentioned in my intro, this podcast is also going to be not only talking about true crime cases, but also the ways they've been portrayed in media including movies, TV shows, documentaries, books, any way you can really tell, or any way you can see it. So, the first way that I'm going to be talking to you about is a Law & Order SVU episode called Glasgow Man's Wrath, and that is Season 16, Episode 6. You can find Law & Order SVU on Hulu, or if you have the streaming service Peacock, I believe it is also on there. I'd say highly request show, a very good show. It's amazing. I love it. So, this case is about three girls. Perry, Mia, and Zoe. Mia and Zoe are sisters, which is different from the original case. So basically, Perry, me, and Zoe have a sleepover Halloween night at Perry's house, except they 
did the age-old trick that people don't actually do in real life, but in movies they show a lot of it, where Perry's stole her mom's phone, asked Mia's mom if Mia and Perry could stay over, and Mia did the vice versa. You know, they wanted to make sure that their moms knew that this was a secret because they didn't want to get in trouble because they were, you know, children. So, basically, Perry has this babysitter named Leslie, and he made up the lore of Glasgow Man instead of Slender Man, Glasgow Man. And they, the three girls wanted to find him because they thought it would be, you know, fun to go out into the middle of the woods in the middle of Halloween night. And I just realized that Perry's actually the oldest. I believe she's 13. I believe Mia is 12 and Zoe is mm, maybe 11 or 10 or 11 in the, like, little... Zoe is the little one. She she needs to be protected by Mia, who does not, who does the exact opposite. So, they go into the woods, and they are filming this on a on a little camera thingy. And Mia and Perry start to freak out because they think, oh, class commands chasing us. We gotta run away from him, or else we're gonna die. You know, that whole spiel. And Zoe trips and is kind of just left on the ground. Later on in the episode, the detectives arrive on scene and they basically find Perry. Or no, they find Zoe stabbed. And there's this lady who is a little bird watcher. Not sure why they put it a bird watcher. It's kind of a random little fact about the episode she says that that she found she was taking a picture of this like rare bird and she saw this man who was standing over zoe's body and she has a picture of him so the detectives track them down track him down and they find him in this cave area um and this man has a mental disorder, I believe it is paranoid schizophrenia, if I'm remembering correctly, and anyway, Stan, um, Sonny Carisi, one of the detectives who handles this like a pro, he is a, he is amazing, um, and he portrays the kind of intolerance that cops have against people with like schizophrenia he treats he basically treats charlie the man that they found like a normal person he makes sure makes sure that he's comfortable that like he has this special eye patch and carisi finds the eye patch eye patch for him and he gives it to him like a decent human being and it's really sweet to sort of see him, you know, do that for for someone who is in a frantic state. Anyway, enough about me simping over a fictional character. He's the only... He's, um... Uh, not simp. Uh... Anyway, so... <laughs> later on in the episode, they find Mia and Perry, who 
say that Charlie was in a frantic stage and that he stabbed them, that Charlie's Glasgow man. And then the detectives find out that Glasgow man isn't real. That Leslie, the babysitter, made him up. And then, so, then Perry starts telling the detectives that he was in my head, I was out of my, I believe the quote that she used was, um, I was out of my body. And the detectives are looking at her like, okay, you are showing signs of a frantic state, we are going to believe you, because this is a, a, a literal heinous crime. This is a literally heinous crime. And, um, but Perry's mother is sort of skeptical about the story. She says, like, I've never seen her act like this. This isn't her. And Mia basically just went along with it because Perry's her best friend. You know, she's a little older. She might want to impress her. Although, impressing girl that's older than you should not include stabbing your sister. This entire case is just kind of insane. I know that if I was trying to impress my friend, I would never stab my sister in the woods and leave her there to die. I just wouldn't do that. And so, towards the end-ish of the episode, the detectives clear Charlie and, uh... Creasy tells him, like, hey, man, I know you don't want to go back there. I know that you think that the doctors are going to give you medicine and make you feel like you're inhuman. And <laughs> just like to retaliate that I just think that Carisi is, is a genuinely good person. Um, I don't have a crush on him because I don't like men. But he's just like an overall really good guy. And one quote that Charlie says that makes me cry every single time I watch that scene is, Just treat me like a person. I just want to be treated like a person. And I think that's really prevalent when people with, you know, mental disorders like schizophrenia are sometimes not treated like they're humans, which is just people being bad human beings. And so Charlie is cleared of all charges, and in the court... The the judge basically says, like, well, the jury says that they found that the girls were not guilty. And there was also another part of the case that I completely forgot about because I went on that tangent. But, um, the wounds, but when they found Mia and Perry, they were in this, like, old ruin. Not really ruins, but these... They're, they are around where I live, like, old buildings that have, like, been left in the woods. And they find them there, and they're, like, they look like they've been trapped in there by someone. There's also a dead cat there that will become relevant in a minute. And basically, they were, they have, they have wounds on them. But, the doctor says, dun dun dun. The wounds are self-inflicted. Um, and... Back to Perry's story. She goes... She says, like... She thought that the cat was basically possessed by the spirit of Glasgow Man. 
and she felt like she had to kill the cat to get him out of her head. And I know that at this point people are thinking, well, Tate, maybe she does have schizophrenia and you're just in denial about it. Just wait till I finish this. Please. And, um, yeah, Perry says she had to, she had to take innocent blood. Glasgow man told her to take innocent blood. So she cut herself. When that wasn't enough, she basically just, you know, casually just did a little shoop, stabbed me as well. And they also tied themselves up. That was confirmed by the detectives that the wound, that the ropes that they were using were literally in their backpacks. Which also is sort of intentional. I think this was intended for Zoe, that they were going to tie Zoe up and then to restrain her. I also like to say that Zoe does end up surviving the attack and that she is totally fine. The judge basically said, you were clearly, you are, you are at fault here. And she said that neither of the girls really deserved a true sentence. You know, they, they, they knew, I think the judge said that deep down, they knew that this was wrong and she did recommend therapy for both of the girls because, you know, if you stab your friend and in, in, in Mia's case, your sister, you're gonna kinda need therapy. That's a lot to unpack. Like, a lot to unpack there. And so, at the end of the episode, they go into this elevator in the courthouse. I've never been to a courthouse before, but in most shows that I watch, they always have elevators. So, go into the elevator, and it's Perry and Mia. And Perry's, um, Perry's mom is there, and Mia's moms are there. And so are detectives Olivia Benson and Amanda Rollins. So, they go in there, and this was after the ruling. You know, after, um, after Perry and Mia were found not guilty. And the detectives look at Mia, no, Perry and Mia standing next to each other. And they glance down to their hands, where the girls, in literally the most creepiest way possible, lock their pinkies together. Like, they basically make a deadly... A deadly pinky promise. Which was horrifying. And the look on the detectives' faces are... Okay, we clearly screwed up. Like, they were clearly playing with us. And it was just... That ending... The SVU, I've watched it for a while, it kind of has the same endings as, you know, like the X-Files. You know, you see what happens, but do you really know what happens? No, because that's how the studio gets you to watch these episodes. And that's not trying to offend anybody who watches the, uh, these episodes. I've watched almost all of them. Even the ones that are mildly transphobic in the first, you know, couple seasons. But they've gotten better. They've gotten better. And so, this episode, I watched this episode before researching the case. And I think it was 
I liked this episode. I liked the little, like, sudden plot twist of the pinky of the... I'm now gonna call it the deadly pinky promise. Um, I think it added a really good, like, layer to the characters themselves. And, yeah, just an overall good episode. So, the next TV episode that I'm going to be talking about is a episode of Criminal Minds, one of my personal favorite crime shows. It was actually one of the first crime shows that I ever watched. And the first crime show that my parents didn't want me to watch. Uh, so, this episode is called The Tall Man. And you may remember from earlier on... The tall man had derived from a culture that I do not remember the name of. But it, they basically took the tall man's name because that is another word or name for Slenderman in another culture. So this episode of Criminal Minds is on season 14, episode 5, which is currently only available on a... Amazon subscription, I meant, not Amazon, um, it is only available on Hulu, seasons 13, 14, 15 are available on Hulu, seasons 1 through 12 are available on Netflix, and you know, if Netflix could also get the rights to seasons 12 through, or 13 through 15, that would be amazing for some of us who want to binge the entire show without having to switch networks halfway through. But anyway, the episode is called um, Tall Man, and season 14, episode 5 of Criminal Minds. So, I don't know how many of my listeners have watched Criminal Minds before, but not only does this episode touch on the sort of Slenderman-esque story, but it also touches on a personal tragedy of one of the characters, um, Jennifer Drew or JJ. And I'm gonna insert a slight trigger warning for this part of the episode, or this part of the show, because it does talk about suicide. So, basically we open up to the episode, and there are these three girls, Allie, Bethany, and Chelsea. And they are ditching a party, and they go into the woods to find the tall man, and Allie says the phrase, tall man, tall man, long-haired tall man, never gonna catch me. And Bethany and Chelsea kind of look at each other like they have, let's just say, other plans. So they tell Allie, like, hold on, we're gonna come with you, just to make sure you don't do anything stupid. And so Then, there's a little campsite, and this nice couple is just, you know, trying to get out of the woods. And Allie basically runs out of the woods screaming. They have, he has them, he has them, the tall man has them. And that's, then Allie comes out of the woods, and she's covered in blood, you know, in a horrifying horror movie kind of way. And then we switch over to JJ's um, storyline of this episode, and we basically see, we see her at home normally with her husband, Will, and her two little boys, and so she gets a text from her 
I think at this point, Emily's the supervisor. Her supervisor, Emily Prentice. And she sees that the case that they have is in East Allegheny, Pennsylvania. And JJ has kind of a moment where she's thinking, Oh crap, that is my hometown where something traumatic happened to me when I was younger. Because any fan of Criminal Minds knows. Every single character has a major trauma happen to them. It's not very fun to see them go through this trauma, but it's just part of their characters. And Will walks over and he's like, hey, I know that I know what happened. Are you going to be okay for this? And JJ says, well, I, she says, like, oh, it's three girls missing in the woods. I think I know what this case is about. So then we go see the team gather together and Garcia, Penelope Garcia, the tech person. If if anybody's ever watched NCIS, she's basically the Abby Shudo of the Criminal Minds. And so then they see her working on stuff and she explains about the tall man myth that there is a man who lives in the woods and teenagers basically go out into the middle of the woods to try to find him and lo and behold they 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 found him basically and so then a couple of the agents Tara and Luke go to the hospital and Allie's in the hospital and it's actually revealed that Allie never had any wounds on her she just had blood splattered on her and she tells the agents that they're that that they found the tall man her Bethany and Chelsea found the tall man and that he locked them up in this kind of this room in the middle of the woods of this house area and that she was able to escape but Bethany and Chelsea were still out there and now we get into the part of the episode that does connect more to the actual case the Slenderman case itself Allie basically says to the agents are you sure you're not working with him? And the agents are a little bit confused by this because the conversation was going really well. She was opening up to them and stuff like that. And Allie says, um, like, and agents ask her, why are you asking us this? We already told you we're FBI agents. And Allie says, because you look like him, because you have no face. And this is where it's revealed that Allie has early onset schizophrenia. And basically her her friends knew about this. And this is where we sort of get more into JJ's side of the story. So JJ talks to I believe it's Chelsea's dad, Tom, who used to date her sister Rosalyn. And Rosalind will come up later in the story. So, che- Chelsea's dad, Tom, basically says, like, yeah, Chelsea and Bethany knew. They thought that Allie's symptoms were getting worse, cause, you know, because she, she was talking to herself, singing to herself, and stuff like that. And her friends were getting getting concerned for her. For her. Um, and so, 
Tom says that Bethany and Chelsea were going to try to, like, talk to Ellie, talk to Allie, (laughs) and trying to see if they can convince her to get some, to, to get some help. Although, in my personal opinion, I don't really think talking to your friend in the middle of the woods at night about her mental state is really the best idea. I just know that, you know, you could... Do it over a text. You could talk to a guidance counselor. I don't know. I just felt like there might have been a better way for them to do this. And so then... Um... We go to... We, they go back to Allie. And Allie's... Um, they go back to their school. And JJ sees one of her old teachers... Um, Ethan. I don't remember his last name. And he basically asks her, you know, how are you doing? And JJ is thinking, ha ha, well, um, I've been fine. Like, I'm here on business. I don't want to be here on business. And Ethan basically says that he collected a whole bunch of students that knew about, you know, Bethany, Chelsea, and Allie. They were all good friends. And this one girl whose name I don't think is ever said in the episode, um, basically says, like, they were all good friends, but Bethany has a secret boyfriend, and Chelsea really wanted to find out who the boyfriend was, and then, and so they, so Bethany stole or no, Chelsea stole a gift from Bethany's secret boyfriend to Bethany and basically hid it from her. And there was a problem with that because, you know, it's Bethany's um, necklace or Beth- Bethany's gift. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. And so then Tara and Luke go back to Allie and say, like, we're going to try something that's helpful with schizophrenic patients. And they have this, um, this, like, a monotone thing going on, and they tell Allie, okay, just close your eyes and focus on where you were, and JJ is with Allie, and JJ is there with them, too, and Allie says that when she looks up, she sees stars on the ceiling. JJ says, Okay, are they purple? Or are they pink? Are they a color? And Allie says, yes. And JJ has this instant look on her face that's like, I know where they are. I know where they're being held. And so then um, the agents try to find them. They find them. And before they find them, there is a reveal. This is where I'm going to issue another trigger warning for just, um, mostly just disgust, not really disgusting, just, um, trigger warning for suicide and, um, more like content warning for, um, inappropriate age relationships. So, in this little flashback, we see, like, 11-year-old JJ and her sister, like, hanging out. And, um, JJ is trying on a necklace that her older sister Rosalind had, 
and Rosalind catches JJ, and Rosalind's like, I'm not mad at you. If you want the necklace, you can take it. Like, I don't, I, she says, like, I don't love the person who gave me it anymore. You can have it. And so, back to um, present time, JJ realizes that the necklace that that Bethany, that, that Chelsea took from Bethany was the same necklace that her sister gave her. The reason why she knew that is because JJ had been wearing it around her neck the entire episode. And so, at the time of Rosalind's death, um, she was dating Tom. So JJ immediately, like, ran over to him, and she was like, Hey, did you do this? Please don't tell me that you took these girls. Please don't tell me you did this to your own daughter. He said, No, I didn't do this. Your sister and I had already broken up. So at this point, JJ's thinking to herself, Okay, what's going on? So she talks to... Another member of her team, um, Team Rossi, David Rossi. He's sort of like the grandpa of the team. Yeah, I he's, he's really good at what he does. And so he tells him, okay, like, tell, tell, me, tell me the story. So she explains the neck. JJ explains what happened with the necklace. And then in a... In a little, we get a little flashback episode again, part of the episode again, and JJ says, like, okay, she says that she found, that this was around the same time that she found her sister who had, um, who had slit her wrists using their dad's razor, and she had passed away, she had killed herself. And, um, so that trigger warning is over. And so, then, David, Rossi says, okay, at the funeral, was there someone who was acting suspicious at all? And JJ remembers that the old teacher, Ethan, was acting a little strange. You know, paying extra close attention to JJ who was wearing Rosalind's necklace, and yes, as you can suspect, Ethan is connected to this case. So, now back to the actual case itself, now that I've gone on a little tangent about JJ's personal life trauma, and so then we go back to where Chelsea and Bethany are being held, and uh, Chelsea is asking Bethany if she's okay. Bethany just slowly gets up in a menacing manner. And, um, at this point, I think Bethany, real Chelsea realizes that she's in trouble. That, you know, obviously she's doing something wrong. Thinks that her friend is going to kill her. And so, Bethany does stab Chelsea. Chelsea does inevitably... Uh, survive this attack, and back at the team, they realize that Ethan, who was the teacher at the time, was in a relationship, or is in a relationship with Bethany, who was a student, because this happens way too much in television shows in general, and doesn't really happen that much in real life. I don't know why this 
is happening so much in television lately. But it's really weird and really gross. But anyway, <laughs> um, so the team finds Ethan, arrests him, and, you know, JJ gets a little bit of closure-ish on Rosalind's death and her relationship to Ethan, and uh, Chelsea and Allie are once again friends. It seems at the end of the episode, I don't, they don't reveal what's happening to Bethany, but I'm assuming she is probably going to have to get a little bit of, maybe something. I think you might need some therapy, sweetie. But that's basically the end of the episode. I like to apologize for my voice being a little bit shaky during the things of suicide, but it is a little hard thing to talk about. It is something that should be talked about more and how to prevent it, but sorry if it was a little bit shaky. But yeah, that was the episode of Criminal Minds that I was going to talk about. So I think that this case kind of represents the Slenderman case well. They kind of use the same name that has been used before in other cultures, as I've said before. You know, girl, a girl was stabbed. And, you know, schizophrenia was mentioned as one of the girls having it. Uh, I personally don't think that this was the most accurate. I think that the Law and Order one was more accurate. But there is one more piece of media that I would need to talk about. And that will be next. So honestly, I think I can just call this next part of my episode. Tate gets mad about a movie from 2018. When I'm recording this episode, it is currently 2021. But so, I could not go the Slenderman episode without talking about the movie Slenderman. So, I saw this movie in 2018 with my best friend Julia. After we hadn't seen each other for a really long time because we... I believe I was in 8th grade, which is crazy, and she went to a different school, randomly. But, we are now back as friends. And so, we decided to go to this movie, because, you know, we thought it would be a really cool movie, and I had heard of the case before, so I was excited to see how they portrayed it. That is not how the story goes. Well, the movie story. So, I could not explain this without getting really, like, mad and triggered by every single scene. So I'm just gonna go... I basically just printed out the Wikipedia synopsis, which is going to be in my sources on my website. So, here we go. In a small town in Massachusetts, four friends, Ren, Hallie, Chloe, and Katie, summon the Slender Man. A week later, Katie disappears, and the other three girls go to her house to investigate for clues. The three discover that Katie has been involved in an occult, and that she had wanted the Slender Man to take her. Basically, an occult is when you are obsessed to someone with the point, with the, to the degree of, like, I want them to, like, take me out of the house. I want to be with them so bad. It's like a cult... Except it's like a really deeply personal cult. 
so the three girls decide to make contact with the Slender Man in an attempt to get Kitty back in exchange for something else. Ren, who has researched Slender Man mythology, warns Hallie and Chloe to not open their eyes while three are making contact with the Slender Man for fear of death or madness. Chloe panics, opens her eyes, and comes face to face with the Slender Man. Sometime later, the Slender Man enters Chloe's house and drives her insane. Ren, suffering from horrifying visions, searches for a solution while Hallie unsuccessfully attempts to move on. Soon, Lizzie. Uh, Lizzie, Hallie's younger sister, suffers a major panic attack and is sent to the hospital and sedated. Hallie discovers Ren had attempted to come into contact with the Slenderman again with the help of Lizzie. Hallie confronts Ren about her sister. Ren tells Hallie that the Slenderman only wants them before she is taken by the Slenderman. Hallie, realizing that the only way to save Lizzie is to give herself to the Slender Man, sacrifices herself for her sister. Lizzie is able to recover and reflects on the situation that resulted in the death of her sister and her sister's friends. So, I think that that's a pretty good explanation of what happened in the movie. Um, no one was stabbed in the movie, but they did have, um, they did have times that the girls were driven insane by the slender man which is in the myth that if you contact him he will drive you insane so they did play a lot into that they also added some teen drama romance that i honestly have no memory about but the one part of this movie that really really stands out to me is that i believe now that i re, re- i haven't rewatched the movie only because I really didn't like it that much, and I don't want to waste my time rewatching a movie that I don't like. I believe um, it is Hallie, who, at the end of the movie, I said before, she has to sacrifice herself to the Slender Man. She's basically absorbed into a tree. Yeah, you heard me right. She becomes a tree. It's a. Re- it's this very strange scene that I remember. That's like one of the only things that I remember from the episode from from the movie is seeing Hallie like go into the tree and like fully immerse herself into a tree. And that's just not what happened in the original case. I think that if I had gone back in time, I probably would have asked my friend, like, hey, this movie isn't exactly a good representation of what happened in the actual case. The writers and directors take the definition of a creative license and are like, okay, we're going to add some dreamy teen boys in there so they have a little bit of a relationship connection. Okay, one of the girls goes missing. Everybody else goes insane. At the end of the movie, someone has to sacrifice herself to a fictional horror character in order to save her younger sister, who somehow got brought into this scene, and the girl has to sacrifice herself to him by morphing together with the tree. I... I don't know where you can find this movie, honestly. Like, I didn't even look it up that much, but it's May 2018, and it's been a while, but it's a very interesting take on the on the case, I think, but it's not that accurate, 
honestly, the Law and Order SVU episode is a lot more accurate than the movie that I thought would be more, that you think would be more accurate. But that is my interpretation of that. So we've now come to the end of the episode, and I just wanted to thank you if you stayed the entire episode. It really, really means a lot. And yeah, this has been something that I've been working on for most of quarantine. As I'm finishing up recording this, it is around March-ish 2021, and I've been planning on doing this for a couple months, and I finally have time to do it. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I am going to try to start filming, recording episode two immediately, and there will be an episode two subject reveal on, um, the podcast Instagram, so please follow me at, at when I open pod on Instagram for more updates about the future episodes and possibly merch later on and I might have a couple collaborations coming on I'm gonna try to work up the courage to actually start emailing people because I've been afraid of rejection but um yeah thank you so much for listening again I think this is the third time I've said this I'm clearly amped up about this episode coming out because I've been waiting a very long time and yeah thank you if you want listen to this um, tell your friends, and yeah, <sighs> thank you again, so please remember to sleep with one eye open. <laughs>